0: and understanding how keto is so effective in proving so many different conditions, from obesity, epilepsy, diabetes, infertility, MS, Alzheimer's, heart disease, to name a few. So take a step away from all the hype you've probably heard and roll up your sleeves with me and join me weekly to explore this living miracle that anyone can access. We'll talk science. We'll talk food. We'll explore its history and evolution to today, which is that the sheer wonder of the ketogenic way of eating has changed untold number of lives, unlike anything before it. And in case I forget to mention it, please join our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath. Hi, this is Dr. Goldkamp, and welcome back to another episode of the Keto Naturopath. You know, we live in a culture that is so driven by one size fits all, you know. Do this one thing, and we'll all get the same improvement whether it's taking this supplement, whether it's going to the gym to do a specific exercise, whether it's a meditation and so on and so forth, they, we we crave for that one thing we can do that will dramatically change our lives. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that other than it sets you up for tremendous disappointment when you could have been doing something that was actually responsible for good improvement, but you didn't get what you wanted. So consequently, you quit and you go back and you look for the next thing. Uh, the epitome of that is certainly about weight loss, which drives a lot of industry, as you can probably well guess. You know, they try this, it didn't work. They go on to the next thing. And so they are just serial attempts, as in sequential attempts, that, you know, just keep you trying and feeling like, well, that you're a failure or or everything you're trying is not legitimate. And neither of those are true. Everything takes a sustained effort over time, and everything takes a degree of modifying, call it tweaking, as you do it. And everything takes a degree of education as you start along that path. Choose whatever first step you want to take. There will be subsequent steps that you will have to take, and you will learn to take them. So the reason I start this way is because the idea now that I've been with keto since what, twenty thirteen, twenty thirteen, twenty fourteen, that um, it is not where I started for sure. I mean, there's a lot of things that I learned because that's what I wanted to do to find out, you know, who's who's bullshitting me and who's not bullshitting me, and who's who's got a a product to sell, and who is actually talking about some genuine research that I should pay attention to. And I've always wondered, you know, I had I had the privilege way back in, I guess we're talking, oh, let's say three years ago. I had the privilege of going up and seeing patients with Dr. Westman at Duke. One day was for patients who come in on their first appointment, so the first office call for an hour and a half—that's pretty long—and then for another day, which it's all return office calls, and so they're much shorter, and it's sort of you know, keeping you know, seeing what's changed, what's worked, what hasn't worked, et cetera. And one of his classes he does for just after your first office call, it's a group, uh, insurance covered effort. And, and you know, people have to wait, you know, six months or even longer to come in to see him. And he's sort of the inheritor. He's the, uh, the, um, I want say the prodigy of Dr. Atkins. He, he did some research on that, but, and so I really appreciate that. And when I asked Dr. Westman and I've asked others and I call them keto gurus at the various conferences I've gone to, you know, nobody really wants to admit what their success rates are or not. So I say, what's your success? And he said, oh, it's 100%. Oh, really? I said, that's, that's great, that's, that's impressive. And he goes, well, yeah, it's it's 100% successful for those who are compliant. So then I have to say, okay, what, what is your compliance rate? Oh, it's about 50%. It's about but he doesn't keep records. And so it's about, so it's just kind of like, Hmm. All right. It's not very exact. And it's kind of the same thing. And this is, you know, it's basically a business model and he does do work and he does looks at labs and so on and so forth. And, um, he's probably one of the most honest physicians I've ever had the privilege of, uh, spending time with, you know, they, this is, this is what you we know, said. So here's, here's what we do. Here's what I do. Here's how it goes. And, um, that was excellent. And I got to see, you know, what wasn't done because of because of the kind of you know, what he's locked into is that context of working at Duke, you know, file the patients in and file them out. And the fact that he gets to spend so much time with them for a first office call, it's kind of amazing. It's certainly not like your standard uh physician. Anyway, what I'm getting to is so what about the 50%? I have always been since I started this podcast, always wondering what about that fifty percent and then Verta health, which is out there primarily about diabetes uh, didn't get a fifty percent success rate either as they measured you know after year after year after year as they marched down and they did they were the only ones um, to do that and so now you go okay now, we see real numbers. And I appreciate the real numbers. This is not good or bad. It's just what they are. So the problem is now we're getting back to a lot of people wanting to do this one thing. And we now have pretty acknowledged across the industry, it's at least 50% failure rate, meaning people didn't get the benefits that they thought that they were going to get. So they quit. And that's a mistake. That's a mistake. Because dropping your carbs and getting out of processed food is, in my view, a requirement for good health. If you're going to continue doing that, you're not going to get good health, whether it's weight loss or mental clarity or reducing autoimmune, whatever it is that you're after, you're not going to get that if you don't continue doing it. And transitions are reversing diabetes, of course, reversing some sort of form of dysglycemia. Um, All these things take time. And if you've been in let's say diabetes, uh, acknowledged diabetes, diagnosed diabetes for a couple of years to five years to ten years, the longer you've been in that uh diagnosis, it's going to take a while to to transition to health. Even though you are doing exactly the same things that somebody else is doing and getting better results. You you are not them. They might not have your history. Maybe they had a little dysglycemia and you're full on diabetic or you're cognitively impaired and you have some degree of dementia. Well, it's going to take time to pull back from that. So that's a variable people don't want to hear because it sounds like I just muddied the water. I just sort of said, hey, it does it's really well, it's required, but you might not get the results that somebody else is getting. Huh, well, that's just life, and I hope you're grown-up enough to hear that these you know results vary per mile, as they say. but no, it's exactly the right thing to do. So the question is, it is necessary, but it's not sufficient to get um, the results that most people care about. And yes, you can put in that that variable of time. That I just mentioned, and with a longer period of time, more people will get success. It's hard, though, it's hard for people to go without any sort of visible or an emotional sense of improving in whatever direction they want to go at, go in and, and that's tough, and I sympathize with that. you know you, you can only be driven by discipline for so long. After that, something has to break in your favor, and it has to be a clear benefit that you're doing this, not just because you've been told to do it. You're an adult and you get to do what you want to do for as long as you want to do it. And that's just the truth of it. After seeing many, 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 many patients, a lot of patients don't have patience. actually. They don't have the willingness to put up with much time of not getting an immediate change. So if they're looking for an immediate change, what they're looking for is some sort of drug like action, you know, in a pill, something simple they can do. They want it cheap. They want it simple and they want it effective. Well, it, it, most of that does not exist for anybody. And when I keep on coming back to when we give something that is so disproportionately wonderful for a particular person, it's more than likely because that person had a great deficiency in that thing that you gave them, right? You can even take working out. If somebody hasn't worked out in the last 20 years and you start working out with them at the gym, you're going to go, wow, look at the changes they have. But if you work out with somebody who's already been at the gym, you know, it's going to be really hard and very slow to make a a change for them. Anyway, so it's been kind of a a covert agenda of mine personally on this podcast and generally in life um, of all the things I've done the research on and looked into is, you know, how good, you know, what, what do we do with ketones? How good is the ketogenic diet? I went back and I was lucky enough to know a person who had access to, to the university, um, file search so I can get any particular uh, article I wanted. And so I went and got, you know, memos of Dr. Um, William Wilder, Russell Wilder at the Mayo Clinic. He's the one who's supposedly coined the ketogenic diet and then and Dr. Peterson of all the, th- all the pre- ketogenic diet formulations, conversations that they had. So I got to sort of see the thinking into it. And it really made me feel, then I traced it on up through the 30s and 40s and 50s and up to present time and all the different variations of it. And maybe we can tweak this and tweak that for particular audiences like MCT oil and things like that. Um, So I wanted to feel comfortable that there was uh, some genuine chance of change here. And a lot of people have done great on the ketogenic diet, right? And a lot of people haven't. And a lot of people have it. And so to dismiss the people that haven't by saying, oh, they're lazy, or they're, they didn't, they weren't compliant, or they don't know how to follow directions, that's clearly, if you're thinking that, then you're arrogant. If a doctor's thinking that, they're very arrogant. And uh, it's very judgmental. So you got to drop that. So I've been after that other 50%. Why? You know, why is, because I clearly feel that keto is required, but it's not sufficient. So what is necessary to do to make the ketogenic diet, keto, both required and sufficient to create these positive changes? And so I took the area of cognitive impairment because I had the privilege of talking with Dr. Stephen Kinane from Sherbrooke University a couple of years ago, and certainly reviewed his work, and every time there's new, another study or article, uh, studies that he does. It comes out, I I look at it. And he's all about uh, MCT oils, or he's been, he's produced a lot of studies on, good quality studies on uh, MCT oil, which is caprylic acid, triglyceride, and decanoic. So it's either C8 or C10, right? You get it primarily from coconut oil and from palm oil. Okay. So now you got these. And he showed how C8 was far and away incredibly ketogenic as an immediately the c10 would take a couple hours and it you know one goes through the lymph system and the other goes right to the liver and boom you got it in 15 minutes okay that's interesting but anyways he's focused on that so he's focused on ketones from mct he also was doing keto pet scans in other words just like you have pet scans of glucose uptake in the brain he would do ketone uptake in the brain so he could see how ketones are being used in the brain where they were being used and how long et cetera, et cetera, by using tracers Okay. Pretty cool. Pretty cutting research stuff. But when you go across the pond to the UK, to Europe, there's not a lot of ketogenic anything going on much over there. I mean, there are some, I won't say there's none and there's some people on the speaking circuit there and doing that. So maybe I always spoke, but there's a whole nother aspect of research relative to cognitive incline, which has kind of been my background as a physician was looking into labs and 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 this started to explain, well, if you do the the ketogenic diet, right, it's required, but it's not sufficient, is what I just said. But now if you start adding in some of the work that comes out of Oxford under uh doctor as a PhD doctor, uh, David Smith, you know, you get things like homocysteine. B vitamins and cognitive impairment, the associations and how to address it, that these are modifiable risk factors that you can address. That's amazing. And yet had nothing to do with keto. So now you add that, slide that in as a layer. That's very important. You know, for some reason, the United States, um, and I really think that the beginning of the ketogenic diet started in 2000 around the era of, uh, doctor, PhD doctor, Samuel Henderson at the University of Colorado started using MCT oil and he started patenting various things with various forms of that, as I spoke about earlier on both YouTube and and videos, but that's where it began. And it really took 15 years to 2015 and 2016 for these conferences to happen. This was when I started becoming aware of it in 2012, 13 due to my illness. Maybe I would have never been aware of it until now if I hadn't been ill. So I was looking for something, you know, selfishly motivated and no longer willing to just follow what uh, other NDs, naturopathic doctors are saying, or their MDs. I needed no, let's see your data. And if nobody can give you their data, they can't discuss it, this is what they've seen, then just get out of my way, don't waste my time. And I didn't have time to waste. I'm, I'm about saving my life. If you can't help, please move away. Okay, so that was my attitude in getting into all this. And so, looking at labs, and so I I appreciate the whole ketogenic aspect. You know, ketones were a big deal, and dropping out. I certainly was not into processed foods. We had huge gardens, we had our own salads, and so on and so forth, and put things away. So, that wasn't bad. You know, it really wasn't an obvious bad thing you could point to um, in our diet. In, in that regard. So I wasn't like, oh, the processed food addiction person. No, that really part wasn't part of it. A lot of stress, you know, practice stress and other things and death in the family and so on. Loss of a brother. Um, these were the contributing factors. And yeah, they would have been changed by time anyway, certainly the stress factors. But it made me look more deeply and saying there's a whole nother thing. And so there's a whole nother, um, I would say, ego system of researchers in the UK that didn't, weren't really looking into ketones as helpful for mental clarity or reversing cognitive decline. They were looking at um, other, they were looking at one who coming away from all the Alzheimer's medications did not work. So what about some natural products, meaning vitamins and supplements? And so they chased down various Studies have been done with no great outcomes around omega-3 because that made sense. Most of your brain is made of omega-3, DHA in particular. And EPA is there too, but DHEA. And um, and then they looked at B vitamins, you know, and they got a hit. They got a hit and they realized that these things had to be done together. It's like, and they had some remarkable uh, changes. Remarkable changes. Wow. So... In Carl's way of looking at this, and Dr. Goldkamp's way of looking at this, is like saying, I am looking for the answer of why is it 50% of the people, and that's a generous 50% of the people, um, probably more, do not get the results that they are after with a ketogenic diet. And it's not because they're lazy, and it's not because they didn't understand, and it's not because they're non-compliant. It had to be other levels of things going on. So when it comes down to homocysteine B vitamins specifically, I mean, that should be, for anybody who's listened to any of these podcasts, that should be like, oh, I know what he's talking about. I know where this is going to go. Absolutely. It's going to go to genetic polymorphisms, which is something they did not do in these studies. Homocysteine can be addressed by B vitamins, specifically B12 and folate, not so much folic acid, but they used folic acid, um, folate and B6, and you can even put in B2 as well. They didn't include that in their sort of, but they had B6, B12 folic acid, and omega-3. And they, that, was, that was pretty much a home run. I mean, they, it, it, the results were so good. There was like an international petition, primarily of the, U, uh, the EU, of doctors saying the Alzheimer's is a reversible condition. How's that for a statement? It's a reversible condition. A modifiable risk factor. That's how you cushion that language. Modifiable risk factor. But you know what I mean? And it was sensational. And so it speaks to, I would have loved to have done, they can always go back and do the the snips on these people. And you're going to find that they would have polymorphisms that somehow botched up their ability to methylate appropriately and accurately. This also correlates with the whole other stuff that I've been talking about, both on podcast and video, about um, epigenetic age reversal for the methylation clocks. And the only reason methylation keeps on coming up again, because it's common enough for people to have these polymorphisms, right? These mutations that are not means that they cannot do, they cannot methylate as well as somebody else. They have a, a mutation of a particular enzyme that slows it down. It doesn't make it inoperable completely, because if that was the case for the most part, uh, they'd probably be dead. But there's often workarounds when you get to biochemistry. And if it isn't, like a river, There's a block here. Well, the water's going to go around. But um, for a loose analogy. So that is amazing. I find that sort of stamp uh, is amazing on that population. So the next thing, which I find, again, I'm after. Why does the ketogenic diet not work for over 50% of the people who try it for Weight loss, you know, name your thing. Well, the third would be it has, it's around choline, it's around neuro, neurotransmitters. So, neurotransmitters, it, we all know about acetylcholine. We've talked about this. It has to do with muscle, it has to do with brain. It's your dominant neurotransmitter in your brain. It's the neurotransmitter that forces you to contract, right? At some point, you think about lifting your arm. And you lift your arm. And so that action has to do with neurotransmitter, uh, acetylcholine being secreted and being received by the receptors. So, uh, And then you get the beginning of the sequence of contraction of your various muscle fibers, depending on the exercise you're doing. Okay. So you got that. But what we know now in the United States that pretty much all of us, very high percent, covered this before, I don't have this in front of me, are choline deficient. Choline is hard to test, so they do it primarily by what one eats and they know what's in the food kind of thing. But uh, they do have more sophisticated testing. It's too expensive for you simply to go to your doctor and say, I want to be tested for, for choline. Um, well, that's, that's not going to happen. So now you have that layer, but here's the problem. Some of you are listening to, all right, I, this guy's been going on about ketogenic diet and it's required, but it's not sufficient. And then we got the, uh, B vitamins and the omega threes. And why dimension mention homocysteine? Cause homocysteine is a toxin. Homocysteine when it's higher than just a little bit. And I've seen plenty. I mean, this is why I do spreadsheets in the video saying, here's my data. This was what my data says. Look at elevated homocysteine with all these other markers. It makes sense. You know? So that was like, that is true. So, I believe that is true. I'm not just buying it because somebody did a study and said that. That is absolutely true. It's a modifiable risk factor. And now I'm going to speak about, you know, choose your thing, but it's a modifiable risk factor and it really is easily addressed. But if you don't have that as a risk factor, then don't address it. <laughs> you know, don't be scarfing B vitamins if you don't have elevated homocysteine. That's not going to help you. Don't be, I think you should take, um, Omega threes every day. I take it two to three times a day. And, um, and I refer you to the Artemis Sinopolis, um, her life work of over what, 60 years now has been certainly about the omega six or three. So it is big. It's big. And it's been triply verified from so many different perspectives. So take her work, her huge body of work, since the 70s. And then I'll pivot to the UK of what they're coming up with over there, what they've come up with over there saying the omega-3 coupled with the B vitamins together makes a sensational change in cognitive impairment. And Alzheimer's reduces that modifiable risk factor. Holy cow. All right. So if you take care of these two things, uh, and then look for how can you increase your choline and here it goes. So the audience that I'm listening to, so go, go, what, what's, what's supplement? What's the supplement? What's the, what's the best supplement? What's the best supplement? You know, it's got this kind of like inner greediness comes out, you know, that sort of bypasses their willingness to understand the context that I'm trying to paint out here. So the context I'm trying to paint out, there isn't a best for everybody, especially when it comes to uh, choline supplements, but the one that we all can have is egg yolks, highest. And then basically there's no downside. You get the big, best egg yolk you have, even the poorest egg yolks you have. Yes, it's gonna have some omega-6 in it. Well, I wish it didn't. So if you can have better quality eggs, but it's egg yolks is the highest form of choline. You know, it's it's kind of like, that's the that's the stone age processed food that is carried forward in life. You reach in a nest and you take an egg. Yeah. And then they started to do uh, agriculture and they raised their chickens for the eggs. But the eggs, you know, for instance, here's a little bit of a tangent. Right now, locally, we live on a, a pond slash lake that's artificial in the sense it used to be a big excavation site for sand to make the bridges here. Locally, it's another so big pond and there's lots of turtles in it and there's some fish. And so you get this whole ecosystem of, you know, the birds, the offsprays, the bald eagles, and it goes on and on and on. It's really amazing. Um, even pileated woodpecker came back to our uh, uh, bird feeder. But it's the season now for turtles to climb out and run up around somebody's yard, dig a hole, lay the eggs, and scurry back into the water. Well, guess what? The crows are probably the smartest animal outside humans in North America, and they look for turtles. They know turtles' behavior, and you can hear them in the air. So if you're outside and you hear a crow, you know it is talking to another crow about a turtle it saw or knows where that nest is. And they will come, and they'll dig it up, and they'll take out the eggs. And why do they do that? Because they know eggs are supremely nutritional. I'm here hoping they like them, but they're doing it because this is like the top of the This is gourmet. Eggs are gourmet for them. And so they not only eat baby turtles, but they eat uh, preferably the eggs. So it's kind of pan species in terms of eggs being the preferred fuel, preferred uh, food. Okay, so there's, that's one way, that's the safest way but some people go, ah, you know, I'm in the diet stuff. I don't have time for my diet. You know, I, I what's the best? Please tell me the best best supplement because because I have these genes and that gene. I need the best supplement. Well, the problem is it is different, and thank goodness there is such a different varieties of choline supplements. You know, it's the beginning of what they call nootropics. It's choline, and then you know now they're coupled with MCT oil, given all the things we know about MCT oil. But then they'll have various herbs and so on and so forth that are mind-opening. Well, you just need choline. And you need, so choline is used in the body for phosphatidylserine, which surrounds nearly all cells of the body, I think all cells of the body, and phosphatidylserine, um, phosphatidylcholine are the two. And then after that, it goes into making the neurotransmitters of acetylcholine. And so for some, the best, you know, having lecithin, which is phosphatidylcholine is, is kind of plenty adequate let your body decide where to shunt off the different parts of choline to nervous transmitters uh, yeah ner- uh, neurotransmitters or to uh membrane uh phosphatidylserine and and choline let that be just you know why that's kind of like the right that's the step away from just having egg yolks to now having lecithin and now you can go further with well now you can get choline that is not less than it's a form that is just before or a step or two before acetylcholine so now you have chosen to decide where this is going to go so it's going to go tor- to neurotransmitters and so that's where the nootropic side of things they they now make it so choline this is through supplements kind of amazing these things are available uh as uh, as otc over the counter because now you are fortifying would be the word you are ramming right up against you're pushing it whether it's you need it or not you are pushing greater manufacture of acetylcholine and uh, you can say well that's a good thing it depends on your context if you're a person who is cognitively impaired perhaps you know And, and if you're not going to do the ketogenic diet and if you're not going to do the uh b what i call the body of the brain work which is the omega-3s together with the b vitamins if you're not going to do that because you want to go right to mind-altering nootropics and trying to decide on what is the best choline supplement uh you're you're becoming a fool you're becoming a fool and you're headed towards addiction which a lot of supplements kind of lead to right people like my supplements they don't do food anymore they do their supplements um, I, I do think supplements are incredibly important, and they've become very sophisticated in these last decade or two, but certainly this last decade. Um, so that's how you decide. You know, if if you're working with grandma who seems cognitive impaired, then I would be inclined to give supplements that are closer to the acetylcholine side of a choline supplement or nootropic. I wouldn't make it hallucinogenic. There aren't hallucinogenic, but I wouldn't be so strong. But I would say, pick pick one that is simple enough um, uh, in that era. you know, I, So I would be far above the acetylcholine. And I would also make sure that there's egg yolks, eggs in her diet, right? So she has that source. So now you're up there. Now you're getting a little bit of both. You need to have the foundation. So e- even if I wasn't talking about ketogenic diet and the omega-3 and the... Uh, and the B vitamins, and we're just talking about cholines, I would make sure that egg yolks were part of my diet, egg or egg yolks are part of my diet. And I would also consider adding phosphatidylcholine in the things that I could add. it. would add it into your gravies, add it into your sauces, add it into your salad dressing. So now you found another way to add choline in a more general way. So your body can use that to decide how to supplement itself. Once you start pre-choosing, this is going to go to a neurotransmitter, you are forcing things to be potentially higher than they should be. And if you are not deficient in that, or if the person receiving these supplements are not deficient in that, you are causing uh, a problem. You're causing a problem. It's it's an addiction that's not far different than uh, crack and all these others in this sense, in this sense, is that... These people who are addicted, and we know that these supplements, call it crack, call it cocaine, call it meth or any of these, it's a driver of increasing dopamine. It makes them feel good. But if they are now have this ability to step away from the natural environment to go to something that immediately causes increase in dopamine, and they feel great, they feel great. Well, what happens when that goes away? They feel terrible. They feel terrible. Now they need more of it, so it sends now your 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 norm as you're feeling it, it has to be at this other level because you forced it at a high level for a sustained period of time. The receptors tend to downregulate, so now you have fewer receptors to stimulate that feeling for you. So now you need a little more. By the way, the uh, glucose and insulin works the same way. When you have sustained elevated, chronically elevated level of glucose. You're going to start shutting down receptors it's the body's way of saying too much glucose we need to get it down and when you don't have the glucose you are hypoglycemic on a cellular basis Um, on a cellular basis and so it's pretty much the same mechanism different different receptors and different specificity of course but the principle is about the same so i'm saying for you to look at these three things there's a natural way to look at these three things And to, you know, always when there's a supplement like our B vitamins and omega-3, where do you get that? Omega-3 in good qualities, and there's plenty of companies do good qualities out there, is pretty much in a field by itself in the sense of this. We've bastardized our foods, now I'm speaking of chicken and pork primarily, that are so high in omega-6 that, you know, Unless you're raising your own chickens and you're not getting this, you really have to amp up your level of, on a regular basis, uh, your omega-3s to at least try to pull that ratio of omega-6 to 3 down to a one-to-one 1 in that direction. Most of us are oh, easily over 6 and 7 and 10, so it has to be something. I do believe you have to take omega-3 every day. And... um And now we have the B vitamins for the cognitive impairment. Take it with some of those. Or take it with food that have these vitamins in it, which are primarily, there again, oh, you're back at egg yolks. How wonderful is that? And you can do a little liver. Be careful about liver. As you know, Uh, it can, the word is, the stupid word is toxic. Why I say it's a stupid word? Because everything's toxic. Pick whatever you have in life. It is toxic. It's really the dose we're talking about. You know, how much water do you have to get in your lungs before you drown? It's toxic. Or how much water do you have to drink before you get hyponutremia? You've diluted your sodium to the point that your heart has a tough time contracting. It varies, but it's toxic. You know, it it leads to that event. So you have a little bit, it's good. So toxic by itself is just sort of an ignorant thing to say. But liver is highly concentrated. I wouldn't recommend polar bear liver. And um, in calves, liver is three times the concentration of vitamin A and other things as beef liver, as we've talked about. So you just need less of it. So use it prudently because it's great food. It is great food in terms of its nutritional density. It doesn't mean scarf it every day. If you scarf it every day, you will suffer the consequences of having too much of primarily first, the first thing that's going to hit you would be vitamin A, but other things are going to hit you as well. Okay. It's one of the things when they talk about gout and um, organ meats, you're really talking surreptitiously about vitamin A. Okay. So. This whole podcast has been about what about the 50% that do not get the results on keto? What can they do? I have just given you what you can do. Keto is required, but it's not sufficient. Uh, B vitamins and omega-3, if you are deficient and, and, and uh, have elevated homocysteine, they will be a home run for you. And the last would be a choline. Choline, you don't need that for, for keto, but when, to have that mental clarity that people talk about, you know, it's like, absolutely make sure I would start, <laughs> I would hang out at the egg yolk level and make sure that's part of your daily diet. You know, have up to five eggs a day. Are you just doing egg yolks? Five egg yolks a day. You will find that will be a spectacular change in your health. Then progress to the more sophisticated. So if you're looking for a buzz, it's like somebody wanting that extra drink, like that extra drug, that extra little thing, or that extra toke you know, you are now pushing, you want to go above that, or you're trying to preserve a high or something that gets to be very artificial. So if you're looking about health, health is not that in in its extremities. So I've been trying to bring you down to a little bit of a common sense, but something you can actually go out and do, it will be a a wonderful transition in your life. I swear that that will happen, but to have some common sense about your implementation of these ideas. Thank God that this research is out there. And thank God, when it guides some of my spreadsheets so I get to see all this insightful information from other people's labs. Okay, well, that was a kick in the head, wasn't it? So, till next time. And as always, send me your questions or thoughts. Take care. Hi, this is Dr. Goldkamekin for a brief reminder Something I completely forget to do at the end of every episode. You've heard me talk long enough on many different episodes, but what I would love you to do, and many of you have already done this, I just want to reinforce this particular behavior, which is to send me your questions. Send me your questions and anything you have about keto. If there's something that I don't know, I will look it up. And if it's something that intrigues me, I will probably make an episode. Uh, a podcast about that particular topic. So, what you need to do is to send me your questions at Dr. Goldcamp at ketonatropath.com. So that's D R G O L D K A M P at K E T O N A T U R O P A T H dot com. Dr. Goldcamp at ketonatropath.com. Feel free to join our Facebook group, which is also ketonatropath.com. That's been growing lately. You also have to answer a questionnaire should you choose to join. And I don't ask for your email. I ask that you follow our terms. I try to avoid uh, advertising and uh, the obvious interruptions of just a good Facebook group. So hope to see you at one place or other. Please send me your questions and uh, look forward to talking to you and getting to know you. Take care.